0: Tonight is the season finale of The Chase. And if you have been with us, this is seven weeks culminating here tonight as we've worked through this wisdom book that's called Ecclesiastes. And the narrator of this book has been the teacher. And he has been guiding us through this conversation of all these relevant topics, all these thoughts and questions and beliefs and presuppositions that we hold dearly to. These things essentially that we chase in life, for satisfaction and fulfillment, and he has dealt with them one by one by one. He's looked at finding success or finding satisfaction and fulfillment in relationships and money and sex and being recognized as having good behavior in the destiny that you set out and the life that you're trying to achieve for yourself and accomplishment in your image, all of these different things he has addressed, and this is the last chapter, and we're closing our series tonight here. And some of you, if you've been with us throughout these seven weeks, you resonate with one of the verses that Yamil just read, and that's verse 11 where it says this. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. See, the intention of Ecclesiastes is to push you, is to challenge you, is to really cause in you this honesty where you begin to look at your life and your pursuits and your dreams and your goals and the things that you chase after for satisfaction and fulfillment. And the teacher who narrates us through that conversation is time and time and time again challenging the things that we hold so closely, the things that we clench our fists around and we really believe are going to provide this meaningful life, and if you've been with us, you probably resonate with this verse, and you feel like, yeah, this hasn't been an easy series. It's been painful. It feels like a nail-studded stick at times, like pushing some of these really deep-seated beliefs and and thoughts that I've had. I was thinking about this week. It's kind of like when you're a child, and you can eat whatever you want. You remember those days, right? When you're young, and you can eat whatever you want, fast food every single day. My second semester, my senior year of high school, I ate Wendy's, every single day for lunch. That's not an exaggeration. And I felt great. I was playing sports. If I did that now, I'd be in the hospital. And you guys would be writing me letters or something, maybe. I don't know. But you could, do, you could eat whatever you want. You could have desserts all the time. You didn't know what high fructose corn syrup was, but you didn't care. You know, you're drinking soda. You're living the life. And then as you get older, what happens? You're exposed to some wisdom, and you're like, I don't think I can do that anymore. You wake up, you feel gross, you fall asleep at four in the afternoon, you know, like everything starts getting affected, and so you realize that you need to learn a little bit about nutrition, you need to learn about health, you need to learn about food, and so you interact with wisdom, and you begin this process of transitioning your eating habits, and it's a painful process, at least it was for me, because I love desserts, and I love fast food, and I love, so I loved all that stuff. And I start to transition and it's painful. It's not easy to do. Now you have to choose things like kale, you know, and like Brussels sprouts and like things you never thought you'd eat, you know, unless it's like Brussels sprouts with bacon. And then you're like, okay, now I'm cool with it. You know, but you transition all these things and it's a painful process, but it's a helpful process. Because as you go through this process, and as you begin to learn more about nutrients and food and your health, and you're taking care of your body, and you're thinking about what you eat, you recognize the benefits, right? You sleep better, you have more energy, you can focus, you don't have that crash in the afternoon. Whatever it may be for you, you've experienced the benefits of wisdom as you begin to take care of your body, and you think about what you eat. And then some of you, as you experience that, now you get like all about it and you're doing diets, like the keto diet. I don't even know what that means, but I know a lot of you are doing that. You're like, I'm the keto diet. It's like, what does that mean? Like, I can eat this, this, and this. And I'm like, great. I don't, I would never be able to do that. I don't even, still don't even know what it is, but it puts your body in ketosis. That sounds cool. I don't know. But all of you guys are experimenting, trying to find the diet that fits for you. And everyone has a different thought and a different philosophy because now you've experienced the helpfulness of transitioning and learning about food It was painful, but now it's exciting because you've experienced the benefits. And this is what this book is intending to do for you in your life, in your faith, is that it's a painful process to really be honest with yourself about the things that you chase after for satisfaction and for fulfillment. And he wants to bring out all of those things, whatever they are for you, and he wants to challenge you to say, do you really think that money or sex or your image, or your reputation, or your accomplishments, or your career, or that life that you think if you, once you achieve that and once you get there, then you'll be happy, or your behavior and recognize, being recognized as a good and, and nice and religious person, whatever it may be for you, do you really think that that is going to provide satisfaction and fulfillment completely? Maybe momentary, but is it not a vapor? And that's the, what he says time and time again it's a vapor. It's like smoke. You may experience the benefits of it for a moment, but it is not lasting. It is temporary, and it is fleeting. And he wants all of us to go through this painful but helpful process of seeing the wisdom that's contained in this book. And as he'll summarize here at the very end in one concise statement and one concise idea, he's essentially challenging All of us to say, are you really going to go through the process of seeing this as truth, what he's about to say, and recognizing that chasing anything else is a waste and is meaningless and is a vapor? And once you do, you're going to find the benefits of it and you're going to see how it applies to your life in a powerful way. And here is how he begins this kind of summary of the entire book. In verse 12, he says, Don't let the excitement Of your youth, cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him before you grow old and say, Life is not pleasant anymore. He says, Do not wait till the end of your life to make a decision about your relationship with God and what you believe about God and what you believe about your behavior and all of those other things that you chase. Are you remembering your creator and are you honoring him with your life? And he goes through this whole list of things. It's kind of like hard to follow, but it has this one refrain time and time and time again throughout this whole section. He says, remember him before. And he's going to say all these different things. Remember him before you get old and your energy is drained. Remember him before you're at the end of your, your career. Remember him before you're at the end of your life where you're concerned about things that you were not concerned about when you were young. Remember him before you get to this place at the very end of your life where you've chased all of these things that are meaningless. And you finally found the meaningful thing in life which is remembering God and honoring him. Don't wait till the end of your life. This is how he ends it. He's like, don't waste your life. He's essentially looking at you as a person who has chased all of these things his whole life. And as an old man, the author who is most likely Solomon and the teacher who's narrating, he's saying, do not be like me. I chased all of these things my whole life and they were all meaningless. They were all vapors. Do not wait to remember who God is and to honor him. And the word remember is a really important word because in Hebrew, the word remember doesn't mean just hold some mental facts and have some kind of reasonable understanding of of who God is or of a particular thing. The word remember actually means to believe deep in your heart. It is deep rooted. It is seated deep down. And so he is saying, listen, I'm going to summarize the whole book for you. Remember God from a heart belief. From this deep place of surrender, of belief in who God is. Remember him from there and then honor him with your life. And the reason that the teacher is ending this way and he's coming strong, really encouraging and challenging and saying it may be painful, it may feel like a stick with nails on it pushing you forward, is because he's saying that he has spent his entire life ch- chasing things that are meaningless. It's what he says in verse 8. He says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless, except for this one thing, remembering God and honoring him. And he recognizes that every one of us in this room is going to have some type of resistance to that statement. This book in large has been written for the skeptic, for the person with doubts and questions, And so as a skeptic, if you're here and you have a lot of questions and you have a lot of doubts, you have a resistance. You're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, I I recognize that maybe it would be good and beneficial to remember God and to honor him. But, I mean, not the only meaningful thing. Not the only thing that's going to provide satisfaction and fulfillment. Some resistance there. But there's not only resistance with the skeptic. You may be here as a person of faith and you believe in Jesus Christ and he has lived the life that you could and he died, the cro- he died on the, a death on the cross that you deserve and he paid the penalty from your sin and he was buried in the grave and he came forth victorious on the third day and you believe the good news of the gospel and you say, yes, I have remembered God. I believe in God from a heart belief and I want to honor him with my life but there is still some resistance even though you may not vocalize it. Because all of us here, whether we have remembered God and regardless of whether we've been seeking to honor God for years and years and years or we're at a place of skepticism, we all have one thing in common, and that is pride. All of us have pride. And what is pride? It is having an excessively high view of yourself. And a lot of times when we think about pride, we think of pride as people who boast, right? Right? Prideful people are the people that want all of the attention. They're the people that when you share a story, they share a different story that sounds better, right? You know this? They share a different, like, well, let me tell you what happened with me. It's way cooler, and you guys should look at me and tell me that I'm great. It's a person that boasts, a person that work that's always trying to, you know, to suck up to their bosses and to look really great, and they don't care if they're going to put other people down. Oftentimes we associate pride with boasting. And, and of course... Pride can manifest itself in boasting. But here's a a secret. Quiet people are prideful too. Right? Some of you that are quiet, you're not going to nod your head. You're not going to raise your hand, but you know. We're all prideful. Because if pride is having an excessively high view of yourself, sometimes it will manifest itself. And other people can see it because you're boasting in the way that you treat other people. It's evident that you deal with pride. But sometimes, nobody sees it. But internally, this excessively high view of yourself is what drives you. It's what motivates you. It's what causes you to look at certain things and to believe certain things about other people. And even about God's word. You see, what pride does is it builds up this barricade between us and God or between us and God's word. So as, an, as a skeptic, your pride may be building this barricade between you and God. But as a person who believes in faith in Jesus Christ and has remembered God from this deep heart belief and desires to honor him, your pride can still build up a barricade between God's word and different aspects of your life that you don't really want God to mess with. That you really believe are going to be things that will provide meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment. And you may say with your mouth, yes, the only thing that is meaningful is remembering God and honoring him. But a lot of times the way that we live is not the same way. Because of our pride. Because we are prideful people and we all have that in common. And so the teacher, as he closes his book, he wants to look at the skeptic and he says this first. He says, listen, verse 9, keep in mind that the teacher was considered wise, and that he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. So you're here, and you have a lot of questions. You have a lot of doubts. You're skeptical. That's really good. This is a great place for you to be. This is a completely safe church for you to ask those questions. But the, the teacher here in this book wants to look at you and say, "Listen." I relate with you because I am considered wise. Solomon, who is considered maybe the wisest man to ever live, regarded in his time as the wisest person to ever live. He says, I studied all these Proverbs. I collected sayings. I did so much research. I was so intensely focused on understanding and learning and having all my questions answered that I thought very carefully about how I communicated each little thing because my mind was elevated and I had an excessively high view of my mind and my ability to reason. And then he says this in verse 12, but my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. A lot of you that are in school, you're like, yeah. Yep. A lot of you are in grad school right now, you're like, yes. Much study wears me out, and writing is endless. And some of you here are like, I want to be in school forever. It's like, I thought you were done, and now you're you're still going. You know, it's like, are you crazy? What are you doing? But see, the teacher is looking at you in regards to the way that you come to God and all the questions you have and the skeptical position that you take. And he says, listen you're never going to have all of your questions answered. You're always going to have more questions. You're always going to want to write more. You're never going to be fully satisfied because you're always going to create something out of your pride that you want answered now. And I love how he says this. It's so wonderful what he says. He says, be careful. He doesn't say, don't think. It's really important to hear that. Believing in faith and remembering God from a heart position does not mean that you don't use your mind. It doesn't mean that you're not a thinking person. It doesn't mean that you're anti-intellectual or you're not, you don't reason through some of your questions. It's important to think and to ask questions and to reason through those things. But he says, be careful because you're not going to reason your way to God. It's never going to happen. You're always going to have more questions. There's always more to study and it's just going to exhaust you. St. Augustine has one of my favorite quotes. He says this, Seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. Seek not to understand that you may believe, because you're never going to get there. You're always going to keep asking more questions. You're going to need more understanding. But instead, believe that you may believe understand. And see, as a person that is coming from a place of skepticism, has a lot of doubts, when you hear a statement like the only meaningful thing in life is to honor God and to remember him from a deep heart belief, you're like, oh man, I don't know about that. I I need to study more. I got more questions. I got more things to experience. Maybe this and some of that. And he's saying, be careful because you'll never be Completely, with your finite mind, be completely satisfied. And you have more questions all the time. Instead, believe, remember, in order to understand. Many of you here have heard of uh, Blaise Pascal. He is one of the greatest scholars of the 17th century. He's a mathematician, an inventor, a scientist. When he was 16 years old, he was already having mathematical breakthroughs. At 19, he built his own mechanical cal- uh, calculator. And then in his early 20s, he began to search out God from an intellectual place. He's asking questions. He's a skeptic. He had a lot of doubts. So he begins from an intellectual pursuit to seek to understand God. And it wasn't until he was about 32 years old, so he's on the journey of faith. He's on the journey of asking all these questions about God and seeking to know God for many, many, many years. And at 32 years old, he has this experience one night, out of nowhere, a supernatural experience And remember, this is one of the greatest intellectual minds that the world has known. And here's how he recalls it. He says, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel, grandeur of the human soul, righteous father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. He, he took this experience that he recalled and he wrote out and he wrote it on a piece of paper and he put it on the inside of his jacket that he wore every single day just to remind himself of this experience, this encounter that he had with God. Isn't it interesting that Blaise Pascal, one of the greatest intellectual minds the world has known, who sought to understand God by asking all of these questions and working through all of his doubts and using his reason and his logic, when he explains and recalls the first time that he interacts with God and he experiences him, he just says things like fire, joy, certitude, feeling, I have known you. You have known me. You are my God. I've known you through the gospel. It's just full of all these emotions and all of these feelings because you don't understand to believe. You believe to understand. You don't work from your mind to approach God, and then that allows your heart to know him. You know God. You remember God from your heart, and then you begin to understand who he is and he then his life changed after that he gave up for the most part mathematics and he gave his life to studying theology and writing christian literature to help support and encourage and defend the christian faith that many others might come to know the one true god as well until he died at a young age you see the mind understands when the heart surrenders Your mind understands when your heart surrenders to God, when you remember him. And the teacher is saying to all of us in this room that are skeptical, that have questions, that's okay, that's good. It's good to ask questions, but be careful. Be careful, because your pride is gonna wanna build up a barricade between you and God and you and God's word. And in order to understand, you have to remember, you have to know, you have to believe But he's also cautioning those of us of faith, those of us that that do know God, and we have remembered him from a heart belief. Because here's the truth, and if you've been with us, you know this. Faith does not remove pride, right? It highlights it. It's an unfortunate aspect of faith. It does not remove your pride. It only highlights it. So you've been going through this series, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm chasing accomplishment." for satisfaction and fulfillment in my life. I'm chasing money. I'm chasing sex. I'm chasing relationship and romance. I'm chasing the destiny that I have set out for my life that I think if I do this and I accomplish this, then I'll be happy. You recognize that and you feel that because your faith highlights it. It causes you to see it. And so for all of us, the struggle of pride will Cause us to fall captive to these vapors that are most attractive to us. And they may be different for us. Those of us may struggle with money, some with accomplishment, some with relationship, some with our careers, with our image, whatever it may be. But these things have become attractive, and our pride wants to protect them from God's word and, and from remembering God and honoring Him with those things. And so, I really think that the way that the teacher wants us to to end this series and to end his book is by asking the question, what are your vapors? Ask the question of yourself, what are my vapors? What are those those vain things that I chase after, those things that I think are going to provide all the meaning and satisfaction I could ever want in life, but they're temporary and they're fleeting and they will only disappoint? What are your vapors, and they're not always easy to identify. I think one of the reasons why our vapors aren't always easy to identify is because we do a really good job in our pride of protecting them, right? We, we wanna isolate them, we wanna build a wall around them. But really, the way to identify what your vapors are is to look at the things that you value most in life and that you give most of your time, attention, and focus, and heart to. What are you most concerned about? What are you running after with most of your time and attention? What is your heart most affected by? It's where your vapor is. Is it money? Is it accomplishment? Is it sex? Is it your image? Is it it the life that you need to accomplish and achieve for yourself? What is it? Because it's not that these things are bad, and it's important that you hear that. These are not bad things, these are good things. Many of them are very good things, but the problem is we take something that can be valuable and we make it supremely valuable. As if this is the answer to life and this is the thing that if I get this, I achieve this, I experience this, then I'll have a successful and satisfying and fulfilling life. And the teacher looks at us in verse 13 and he says this to all of us. He says, Listen, here now is my conclusion, my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Fear and remember communicate the same idea. Believe from a heart position. Believe in God. Worship him. Trust him. Fear him. Remember him. Don't waste your life by chasing after these things that will not provide meaning. Don't wait till you're older. Don't wait till you have all your questions figured out remember and fear God, and then honor him with your life. Look at the vapors that you chase after that are valuable, that you've made supremely valuable, and ask yourself, how can I honor God with these things? How do I honor God with my money and with sex and with image and accomplishment and my work and my reputation and the recognition I receive and the life and the trajectory that God has me on? How do I honor him there? I think part of the problem is when you ask yourself that question, it can become very difficult to know how to do that, right? Some of them are pretty clear, right? How do you honor God with money? That's pretty clear. Be generous, right? Don't hoard it. Don't keep it only for yourself. Don't be consumed by it. Be generous to other people. Be generous to your church. Be generous as God opens up opportunities. Be generous. It's also pretty clear how to honor God with sex, trust God's design, trust God's plan. But some of the other ones are much more difficult. How do I honor God with my accomplishments, with the recognition that I receive in my career? How do I honor God with the way that other people view me at work or at church, in my family? How do I honor God with the life that I'm living, the trajectory that I'm on? It can be harder to know how to do that. It's not an easy thing to process because a lot of you are probably sitting there thinking to yourself, listen, okay, I'm going to remember God and know him, and then I want to honor him with my life, but I'm not going to pull a Blaise Pascal, <laughs> I'm not going to start, like, writing Christian books and, like, giving up my career and studying theology, you know? I'm like, sorry, I like my job, <laughs> you know? Like, I'm not going into full-time ministry, I like my job, I like my community, I I like where God has me, or I'm excited about what's going on in the future. I like making money. I like caring for my health and my image. I like like these things. I'm not going to just, like, give all that up, so how do I honor God with these vapors, with these things that, that are valuable but I've made supremely valuable? And Jesus gives us insight. He says that you're going to stand before him one day, and if you're a person of faith, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus is going to look at you, and he's going to say something. He's going to say this. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous, the people of faith, will respond with the way that you may feel right now. Like, what? It's 2018. I never met Jesus ever. And that was 2,000 years ago. Like, I believe in him, but I never saw him, never gave him a meal. Jesus says, That we will actually respond by saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? And some of you, you know that there's going to be like a spiritual twist, you know, right right here, like, and Jesus is going to say something. But some of you feel like this. You're like, yeah, I know that Jesus is going to say something. It's not about seeing him. It's about the way that I treat other people. But I'm just living my life like I'm not a pastor, I'm not working for a Christian organization, I'm not consumed by these things, so why would Jesus say this to me? He says, the king will reply by saying, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So what does it mean to honor God with your life? If you remember God, and you know him and you believe in him and you worship him as he is found in the gospel that Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you've experienced that heart change that you can't really communicate in words, now you're asking the question, How do I honor him with my life? You have moments and opportunities every single day to do that in your job that you love, in the accomplishments that you've achieved. In the recognition that you receive, in the image that you have, in the relationships that have been provided. How? How do you honor Him? You show God's love to other people. Fear God and obey His commands. And Jesus says very simply all of the law, all of the commands are summarized in this love God and what? Love others everything boils down to loving God, to remembering him, and honoring him by loving other people as God gives you opportunity in your life. This is meaningful. This is a meaningful life. It's not a vapor, and it's not in vain when you chase after God and loving his people that he puts before you. Will you pray with me?